It is Solidarity Sunday. It got me thinking about what does it mean to be in solidarity? And we started with that passage from Paul. It talks about the body. And we can't function as a body of Christ if we're not in solidarity. And if you who have experienced pain or a part of your body that isn't working the way you'd want it to, you, you get how even the smallest of parts, when they don't function, we don't function fully. Remember, as a child breaking my toe, I was chasing my cousin and I ran through a door and I just stubbed my little toe and it stuck out like that. I can tell you little toes don't matter until they do. When we are in solidarity, we as a people of God come together, we can do remarkable things. But we haven't always done it well. See, the human condition is actually to work against solidarity. The reason why we need to have moments like today where we remember, where we celebrate, where we ask God to help us to be in true solidarity is because we have the proclivity, we have the nature to pull in different directions. Howard Thurman, who was a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., tells a story of his traveling to Salon in 1935 and meeting with a university president there. It was a, a student pilgrimage of friendship. And he was invited into this university president's office and they drank a cup of coffee together in silence. At the end of that time, the president asks him, your people were dealt into the slave trade by Christians. Christian ministers preached every Sunday using the very words of Paul to approve this system of slavery. You were freed 70 years ago, but not by a Christian. It was for economic and political purposes. It was a social development, not a theological development that ultimately freed you. Now you're segregated, lynched, burned. And he recounts a story that one of his colleagues had brought back when visiting the U.S. of a church mid-worship that stopped the service to go out and lynch a black man. And after he had died, returned to raise their hands before God. What do we mean by solidarity? We certainly don't mean the mob. You see, what has happened is we've had false solidarity. Of course, these are stories of white dominance. But they're rooted in disobedience. They're rooted in violence. They're rooted in a failure to love our neighbor. 
false security is about maintaining the status quo, holding on to our power, failure to see those on the margins. It's the story of Scripture in many ways. This is the week we do the Great Commission. It's the story of the disciples coming to the mountain and being given the task of this great and monumental vocation that God has called us to do. But before we get there, we really need to take account of just how badly human nature pushes against this act of solidarity. The last story we have in Genesis prior to the call of Abram is the Tower of Babel. And this is a story of the resistance to God's purposes. You see, they too wanted to stay safe. They too wanted to stay in power. They too wanted to stay homogeneous. Same language, same beliefs, same politics, same religion, same, 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 same. And so they built this tower, probably a pyramid known as a ziggurat. And they set out in this wildly interesting way to reach out to the heavens. And we know that that's not possible. But really what they're doing is they're trying to bring God down to their level. They're trying to make him safe. And they're trying to avoid doing what they know God has called them to do. Here's how it goes. At one time, all of the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come. Let's build a great city for ourselves. With a tower that reaches to the sky, this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. And they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That's why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. And this way, he scattered them all over the world. It's false solidarity. And of course, God's not afraid. There's nothing we could do to upset God's plan. But what God's doing is he's saying, when I allow you to stay in this false solidarity, when you fear the other, when you fear to be obedient, when you work towards self-serving unity, you will become inward-focused. The fancy word we've been using is incurvatus in se. Well done if you were thinking it. We do. We turn inward. And then this disobedience causes us to resist God's purposes and resist God's plan. 
It's a false security. It's looking to the world for stability. I think there's two kinds of unity. And I see this happening in our culture today. There's a forced unity. Where if you don't believe what I believe, I'll cancel you. I'll push you out. I'll persecute you. I read a story this morning even of a young couple. They were students. They weren't even a couple. They were just meeting, a boy and a girl, they were university students, meeting to exchange notes. And the Taliban came, arrested them, accused them of having a sexual relationship, tortured them and imprisoned them for six months, and then forced them to marry. And they're now outcast, not in school. Their life is utterly destroyed. It's a forced unity. Now our stories aren't so spectacular, but I think if we stop for a moment and just consider our, our, our context, I think we can see examples of forced unity. And it's a fragile unity. This is not the unity willed by God. See, what God wants is a courageous unity, a unity that overlooks the brokenness of others. We don't turn a blind eye to someone's need. This isn't a false unity that says, even though we don't agree, I'm just going to pretend, or I'm going to not hold to my convictions. If Kevin and I disagree, I can be okay that Kevin's wrong, (laughs) and he can be okay when I'm wrong. Because unity doesn't say we agree. Unity says we stay connected. Because it's the unity that God wants, which is a covenant with him and only with him. And it's responding to God's purposes and relying on his life-giving power. It's a solidarity, which is a unity that embraces our differences. And that's what this video was about that we watched. Because they were doing work around the world with Canadian Baptist Ministries. These are not necessarily people that believe what we believe. In fact, our best work as Canadian Baptists is when we are with people who do not believe what we believe. God wants his people to scatter. We have the tendency to bond together. He wants us to be his regent, attentive to all parts of creation, representing and working in his image and caring for all of creation as what we've been discussing for the last few weeks, priests and steward, standing in the gap between heaven and earth. That's the Great Commission. The unity at Babel was a unity against the purposes of God. It's a self-made unity. And it's a fortress mentality. You don't have to spend very long looking at news reports or algorithmic social media to see that we have increasingly developed in our culture a fortress mentality, increasing polarization. We seek to survive by our own resources. And I wonder sometimes if we're trying to construct that world where we bring God down to our level and we seek safety. We try to control our environment. 
Now, security and safety is not the issue here. It is good to save for retirement. It is good to lock your doors. It is good to put up fences so that our children don't run out on the street. But when our purpose is to gain security at the expense of obedience to God, we have moved from true security to false security, and we are no longer acting in obedience. It's the kind of unity that's grounded in fear, and it's characterized often by coercion, as opposed to seeking the will of God. And if you look around the world, this kind of solidarity inevitably becomes oppressive conformity. We're at risk, I believe, as a society, even as a church, to oppressive conformity. The issue is not simply about scattering, Scattering in this story of Babel was a means of punishment. But, but that's not what God is doing. God is not saying to his people, I want you to be obedient and go all over the world in solidarity in your vocation as priest and steward because you're being punished. It's an invitation in, and that's what the Great Commission is about. And so let's go there. Let's go to Matthew 28. The 11 disciples early on Sunday morning left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. I love that. I love that line. Some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. See, Jesus is drawing us in to this covenant of vocation. He wants us, he means for us to be a blessing to the entire world. Now, for some of us, that means we pack our bags, throw our kids on a plane, and move to South America. Some of us, that means we come from Mexico and move to Canada, or Zimbabwe, or Vancouver Island, or Maple Ridge, or Sarnia. Some of it is, was born here, and God's called me to stay here. See, it's not about where you go, it's how you go. And he's inviting you in to this curse-broken, exile-removing power that has overcome Babel. See, he's reversed the curse. And we get to go. We get a do-over. And humanity is invited into a next opportunity, a new opportunity to be obedient. I think it's interesting that Babel falls right before the call of Abram. You see, Abram, unlike the Babylonians, He received the call and he went to a promised land that he never truly received. And because of that, through time, the story comes to this moment right here in Fort Saskatchewan. You can trace the obedience of Abram to the obedience of Christ to the obedience of all of you who've come into relationship with Jesus Christ and gathered here today. Now it's our calling. 
And it really is a great commission. It's great because it covers the entire planet. It's great because it engages in all of time. And it's great because it brings us into a solidarity, a unity. It is all. It is multicultural. It is the nations. So we don't have to just all look and sound the same. We can be unique reflections of the grace of Jesus Christ in the world with all of our diversity. And I think that's a profound aspect of this great commission. Under God, obedience and action to go, disciple, baptize, and teach. We go, disciple, baptize, and teach. It's not security, but it's trust. So we trust God to bring what we need and not the world. It's opening ourselves up to being priests and stewards standing in the gap between heaven and earth. So how do we live this story? This restoration of calling to be scattered, not dispersed, it's a choice. We actually choose to be faithful to God's call. Some of us, one day someone here might choose to go to a different country. But it's the way we go, as I said, bringing Jesus with us. And I want to come back to that, that line. Jesus faces their doubt. You notice he doesn't actually confront them on that? I think it's profound that some of them doubted and Jesus just goes, that's okay. I'm still going to send you. Because I'm not worried about your doubt. All authority has been given to Jesus to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. And he's with them always. The sweeping group of alls that even the most wobbly need of us can actually take hold of this great commission and in obedience step out in faith. Because the resurrection has changed the world. The only reason why we can do this is because the cross defeated the powers. And so everything we do in the name of Jesus Christ, it doesn't necessarily lead to wonderful events or perfect success. Failure is an option. But Jesus will never fail. And so we can step out in courage because of the broken powers and the way that Jesus has changed the very reality and nature in the world we live. We can act and lean into this changed reality. And so let's come back to the uncomfortable story. We haven't always done it right. I think there's a need for humility. Often we try to pretend everything's good. We try to make excuses. We try to act like that is something that happened in our past. But I think the story of the church is filled with both good and bad. And there's something deeply problematic when we bury the bad and promote the good to somehow make ourselves look better than we are. 
Humility is the call of the Great Commission to humbly go in the power of Jesus Christ, not our own power. And I think to do that, we need grace to trust in God's power to restore and to redeem our really terrible stories. And that starts with an honesty that we haven't always been faithful. And so how do we live this out? The first question is, do we have unity? And that's a question for you this morning. It comes with this sense of solidarity, of course, but who is your other? Again, I'm not talking about people that you force yourself to agree with. We have political spectrums. We have different beliefs about how things should be structured. There are times where we have to hold to our convictions and say, I believe this is wrong. This is what the Word of God says. I'm going to hold up the Word of God as the means through which I live my life. I'm not going to claim perfect knowledge, but I believe this with all my heart, and I don't believe what you believe. So this isn't about becoming wishy-washy and suddenly ignoring what we believe to be true. But there is no excuse for us to not stand in solidarity and unity. So who is the other? Ride the LRT and you see the homeless. I think it's a shame on our society that we have such problems. These are not things that are easily solved. Who's your other? There's rip-roaring debate in the United States right now around abortion and abortion laws. Who's your other? You won't go very far without running into issues of sexuality and LGBT. Who's your other? Who's the person that makes you want to turn away? Maybe it's the conservative or the liberal. The fundamentalist or the progressive. Who's your other? We're called to stand in unity as a church. Second question is obedience. What are we resisting? What is that thing that God has called you to do? You know God's called you to do, and you're, and you're resisting. Please, there's no condemnation in this sermon. I am not here to shame you in any way. There's lots of things that I have, in my life, sat back and go, God, I, I, I did not obey. I do not stand up here because I've got it all figured out. I stand up here because of the grace of God. What is it we are resisting in our lives? What are those things he's calling us to let go? And what are those things he's calling us to pick up? How is it that you're going? What do you fear? What is the thing that, Lord, don't send me to Africa kind of question? I think things have changed dramatically. I actually think people would be more willing to go to Africa because that's cool. Don't send me to downtown Fort Saskatchewan. That's way more intimidating to share the gospel at my workplace. You see, when I go to Africa, somehow I'm anonymous and it just feels big and clean and easy. When I first was talking to Canadian Baptist Ministries, when Karen and I were 
considering going to the field, the place they wanted to send us first was China. And we said, no, I regret that decision. And what was really funny is that seven years later, I was working in China. So God has this way of bringing us back around. The Jonah stories happen all over the place. What is it that you fear? What is God calling you to engage with? And then the, the third one, I think, is the toughest one of our age. Are you seeking security or are you embracing trust? We live in an age that security is so important. The first question that I always got asked when I talked about being overseas was, is it safe? And I always answered the same way, oh, good Lord, I hope not. Now, partly that's my personality. I really love to go to unsafe places. I've told the stories before that when there was the riots in La Paz and the tear gas was going off and all the, all the explosions were going and everyone was running this way, I was running that way. I really ought to have been a combat journalist or something. And, and, and I love you guys, but there are times you're kind of boring. <laughs> what is it that we seek? Do we seek trust and going where God wants us to go or are we looking to be safe? And where are we placing our trust? I was talking the other day to a young soldier who asked me, how come you haven't become a chaplain? found that I used to be in the military. and said, how come you haven't become a chaplain? You know you'll get paid a lot of money. And I kind of gulped. And what I know, but God didn't call me there. Because my security and my safety, it's rooted in Christ, and God will look after me. So we live this story leaning in to the question, will we live in the shadow of the tower or will we live in the shadow of the cross? And that's the question for all of us this morning. It's not an issue of salvation. You're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But are you going to live in the shadow of the tower or are you going to live in the shadow of the cross? Who are you going to follow? It's Solidarity Sunday. So let's go into the world in solidarity with Jesus, in unity, obedience, and trust. Let's disciple, baptize, and teach. It's a great commission, and all of us have been called. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you trusted us enough to carry such awesome responsibility, but you gave us what we needed to do that. Lord, this morning, help us to be mindful of the other, the one that we steer away from, the one that we struggle with, the one that we may want to just walk away from. And I, and I ask, Lord, where possible that that would be restored, where appropriate, Lord, that, that there would be a boundaries place, but, Lord, we would give to you whatever it is we're holding on to, so that we would be softened in heart and spirit toward those people. 
Lord, where we disagree, may we hold on to our convictions, but hold on to them gently so that we don't use them as a hammer. Not to be wishy-washy, but to be gracious. Lord, where we have been fearful and not stepped out, show us where you want us to go. And Lord, where we have placed our security in the things of this world, help us to let go of those and to trust you. And Lord, this morning I ask that each and every one of us would live in the shadow of the cross and not in the shadow of the tower. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name.